Hey everybody, this is Jay Scott, and you were listening to The Hook, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's having a great day, Every, everyone's having a great weekend, although whenever you're listening to this, whether it's a weekday or weekend, I hope you're enjoying your day. Today's guest is Christy Eagle, who has been part of the music industry in some form or another, whether managing bands, part of radio, who's now doing a lot of charity work for Chris Cornell's Music Foundation, like to bring her in and welcome her. How are you doing today, Christy? Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great, and I'm really happy to be here. So thanks for this opportunity. Thanks for being on the show. I do appreciate you doing this. We will start off the episode like we do every time we have a new guest, and it's the same first question for every new guest, and that is the essence of the show, and that is like every great rock song has a hook that sucks you in, Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or a performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What hooked you? So when I was 12 years old, I broke into my uncle's bedroom and um, dug into his album collection and put on headphones and put on the Beatles' White Album, completely having no idea. I've never heard the Beatles, never heard one song off that album. I was 12 years old, and that pretty much changed my life. And um, hearing Helter Skelter, I'll just never forget that. So I think since that album, um, it was a pivotal time in my life. And since then, I've never looked back. I've been a huge rock fan since then. And I am so grateful to my uncle for having, like, excellent taste in music. So (laughs) that's what hooked me. What was it about the White Album? What song off the White Album really resonated with you? Definitely Helter Skelter. Definitely. I mean, and, and the fact that they would do crazy things like toss in a song, mm-hmm. number nine, number nine. I'm like, what is this? I'm just, I really couldn't wrap my brain around it. But um, I had been taking guitar lessons, and up until then, I'd been playing a lot of classical music. And then I came up to my teacher and I said, hey, I'd like to learn some rock and roll. <laughs> and she's like, what would you like to learn? Go anything from the Beatles. So I, I think the whole thing just told a story to me. And made an impression that you know I can just when I hear that music it takes me back to that time you know it's like a time travel machine and I hear that album so I think it was the totality of it wasn't that the inspiration for Charles Manson getting into the music business um you know probably was but I was 12 years old so I didn't really realize any of that and you know, it was probably a lot deeper and scarier than I thought it was. Right. When I heard it, it was just, like, mind-blowing. Like, wow, I didn't know people could do this in music. You know, I was playing classical runs and, you know, Segovia and stuff like that. So I would use this really different kind of music. And then when I heard that, it was just, it opened my mind and my eyes and my ears. Maybe if I was older and I knew what it meant, it would have a different context and a different meaning in my life, but it, it doesn't, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, though, if people are interested, uh, a great Google search is Charles Manson and the Beatles and what his thoughts were on that and how it inspired a lot of his actions um, after he heard the Beatles' White Album. I think it was the White Album. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, where, where did it go from there? After the Beatles' White Album... Where did your rock and roll journey go to? 
Well, my mom really loved Elvis Presley and Creedence Clearwater Revival and Led Zeppelin and Donovan. So it kind of went in that direction. I was born in 1963. So I, I was actually born, I think, the year the Beatles broke in the United States. So I have a really good, solid foundation uh, from there. And then it went all different directions from there. Then um, as I grew up and I was playing music and I love music, I got into things like um, fusion jazz with Larry Coryell and the 11th House and Mahavishnu Orchestra. Then uh, my dad really liked country music, so I got a little bit of Charlie Pride and a little bit of Tammy Wynette in there. And then my grandparents, my granddad was a jazz uh, bass player, played stand-up jazz, and they really loved classical and stand-up jazz, so I listened and did, did a lot of that music. And my parents were the kind of people who would drag us to concerts, whether we liked the music or not. <laughs> so we, I went to see anybody and everybody that came to town wherever I was living since the time I was about 12 years old. So I'm all over the map musically. I like everything. This year, one of my favorite albums is from Orville Peck. He's a country guy. And the other one is Tool. I love Tool. And I love Williams of Alton album. So I'm really musically just all over the place. And I'm I think a, it's because of my, my, my upbringing, you know? I'm, I'm that way, too. You know, I have my go-to music, which is hard rock, but I love yeah. the singer-songwriter, the independent artists. I love some new wave. I love a little bit of old-school country, like jazz. Uh, you know, I could listen to most things and have an appreciation for it. Yeah, me too. As far as your radio career, now you... Yeah started out in a college radio station. Why don't you tell the listeners, right. you know, kind of your background in radio before we get into the topic. Right. So quickly, I kind of graduated from um, high school a year earlier. Um, so my first year of college was like my last year of high school. I had already completed my unit. So I was kind of bored and I walked into the college radio station. And literally the week before they had dropped National Public Radio, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a spot for you. You you want to come in? And I was about 16. And I was like, sure, yeah, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we're doing this music called New Age Music. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. So I kind of walked in, and um, I they had, like, three radio announcers. And it was a really big station. It's in South Orange County, Mission Viejo, out of Saddleback College. And they were, it's a pretty affluent area, so they had a huge signal and a lot of people. And they had no DJ, so I basically worked, like, all the time. I was on the air all the time and playing music I had never heard of. There was a label called e ECM or EMC, a really eccentric label. They put out people like Shadow Facts and, and some other crazy people. And so I just started, and I dove in, and I was on air, and I was there for about a year and a half, and I decided to quit college and go into radio full-time, and then I moved to um, Farmington, New Mexico, where I went into a small market radio station, KRWN, and I was holding down drive time, um, doing adult contemporary, um, and that got kind of boring really quick. It didn't really <laughs> that may be the one genre I'm not in love with. And then I uh, moved back to California, and I was living in Pasadena, and one day I drove by K-Rock, I don't know why, was just passing it by. And I said, hey, I wonder if they need an intern or anything. So I pulled over into the parking lot, and I went in, and I said, hey, you guys need an intern? And they're like, yeah, we do. And so I interned at k for uh, 106.7 at the 
alt radio station out in uh, Los Angeles. And so I was there, and it was literally probably two weeks or three weeks after they switched from, I think it was Spanish radio or talk radio, and they switched to a new format in the United States. It's never been done. It was called New Wave, and we were called Rock of the 80s. And they played bands like mm, Oinka Boingo and Devo and Early Madonna and all the stuff coming out of England. And I ended up interning for a guy named Richard Blade and a couple of other DJs. And then I ended up on a show called Love Line, kind of like the day that it started with the Swedish Eagle and the Poor Man. I did that for three years. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> I have to admit. That's interesting. Um, after K-Rock, you know, did, did, did it continue? Where did you go from there? So I went back to college. I had to go back to school, and I actually decided to finish my degree. And at that point, I had moved on from radio. I still did some club DJing. Um, and in the meantime, uh, this new wave format became alternative rock. And it was very successful. It was hard to beat KISS. FM 102.7 in Los Angeles because they had Rick D's in the morning and they were just a powerhouse. But K-Rock did pretty good and the format did really well and I believe the next station that went to that format was out in New York City and then went down to San Diego called 91X and so by the time I left that music had just flourished and become really successful and you know R.E.M. was out there and there was you know U2 and just tons of bands came out of the, the new wave format and I decided to go into music management. And so I started a company called Heal Monster Productions when I was there in San Diego. And I had a small recording um, label. And San Diego was kind of a hotbed of music at that time. Jewel came out of there. And there was a great band called The Rug Burns and a couple of other bands. So there was a kind of a thriving little singer-songwriter slash. And then there was a punk rock scene. So I was doing that for a while. And radio, I didn't really go back into radio, Jay, because uh, financially, it wasn't very, well, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest place to work as a DJ. It was a great place to work if you were selling, if you were a salesman in radio, you were making great money. But if you were a DJ and you were struggling, I would have had to go back out to small markets and I just didn't feel like relocating, so... I went into other things. That's my background, basically. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that. Um... Because today's episode is part of an ongoing series that we're going to be doing here on The Hook Rocks, and it's about the state of rock music and how rock fans are inadvertently killing rock music without really realizing it. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things over the next few weeks, and one of the things I want to talk about is radio and how the evolution of radio from the 60s and 70s to to now has hurt rock and roll. Hurt rock and roll in the sense that new music, whether by existing bands or existing artists, or new bands and artists, are virtually becoming unheard. You know, no one's listening to it. And I want to talk about the impact of radio and how people are absorbing music now to where how it was before, to where now you actually have to work a little bit to find new rock music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So probably explore and discover. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, it used to be radio had such a huge impact on what people were listening to, and and it, and it still does today. But more importantly, it had a huge impact on rock music. You know, when you look at the '60s and '70s radio stations, 
it was all primarily rock music. It was primarily AM radio. You know, whatever, you know, the DJ in that town was playing. And by the way, the DJs used to determine what they played back back in the day, what, what they wanted to, for the most part. Now, new rock is virtually gone from the radio airwaves. There's classic rock stations, and even those classic rock stations are going away too. We just had one here in Chicago that was The Loop, 97.9, that was around forever, is gone. Wow. It's, not, it's now a Christian radio station. I- so. It is constantly changing, and it's constantly changing to where it's really boxing out the rock fan. Rock fans can no longer hear new rock unless it's a local independent station, which are few and far between now. Yeah. So where where did you see, I mean, you were kind of front and center of it in the early 80s, and you know, I'm sure you're, you're more or less more aware of it as time moved on, you know, from, you know, the radio age to the MTV age. So where do you, what do you see and what have you seen that has had a huge effect on rock music? Right. So if you remember, rock and roll started kind of basically when record companies moved from singles to LPs, right? There were always LPs, but they were usually products that people brought home and listened to on their own device, their own turntable, uh, device was a turntable. And so FM was not very widely listened to back in, you know, the early 60s and into the 70s. So there was like this new medium, FM radio on the dial. And you're right, old hippies will come in and be DJs and bring a record collection and go, wow, we're going to play, you know, a deep track. We're going to play Cut 7. We're going to play Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, which is an 11-minute song. I forget. Um, and that just never happened on AM radio. AM radio was, you know, the hit, the hit, the hit. So FM was a whole new medium that people could explore, and it wasn't really monetized. And there weren't a lot of sales. It was kind of like the ugly, red-headed stepchild of radio and advertising. But as it grew and, and rock and roll became um, more commercialized and tours were out and bands were touring and advertisers were like, oh, hey, wait a second, people are listening to FM radio. Man, I think we need to start advertising. And so once you get advertising dollars into any medium, that's when things really start to change. And rock and roll was, you know, album-oriented rock, AOR, was a new format. And so salespeople were like, hey, let's sell this. So they started selling it. And so rock and roll became more mainstream. So it broke as a new kind of wild and untamed format. And then within a decade, it was pretty well commoditized. And the two big rock stations in Los Angeles um, that came out of that were KMET and KLOS. Um, KMET didn't survive. They had been around, I think, for 30 years, um, but there was just not enough audience for two major rock stations in Los Angeles, and that's how big L.A. is. So what happened next? The next real big wave was a new wave, was this new music that was coming out. And again, advertisers were really afraid. I remember K-Rock, they didn't think they were going to make it through the first year with this new format. But they did, and it became very popular, and it became um, commoditized. And I think that's really the last time that unknown bands were really massively broken on a regular basis. 
And now you're not going to find that in radio. Radio ads in 2018 were over $20 billion. People advertised to the tune of $20 billion on radio. So they're not going to be advertising on stations that are taking a risk, breaking new bands, whether it be rock or any other genre. So I think that's kind of where we're at right now with radio. Um, there's not going to be a lot of risk taking. And so what that means is the radio programmers aren't going to really be programming new rock or any other kind of new music. They're going to go with what's called a wheel. And the wheel is going to basically be music that is in the top 10 to top 20. And they're going to repeat those on an hourly basis because that's what their audiences are listening to. And they're trying to get ears to listen to their ads. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, money talks, right? So, right. You know, if if yeah. if new rock, or, you know, is not going to bring in the advertising dollars, no one's going to play it. Right. Exactly. So that's where we're at. So college radio has to play a really uh, strong part in this, um, but unfortunately, they don't have the reach, you know, and they're usually very limited in their um, antenna uh, bandwidth. You know, they don't reach that many ears. What I think has significantly changed in the last 20 years is the way that we access music, the way that the listener and the consumer accesses music. So when rock and roll was a brand new um, format on the radio, there weren't very many avenues to listen to new music, right? You listen to the radio, you played it yourself on your own record player, you went over to your friend's house, or you saw live music or you saw maybe a new band as an opening band for an established rock band that you want to see. Those are like the basic ways that a consumer or a fan would access music. Over time now, you know, the way that we access music, I had to write it down. <laughs> so we had the TV, right? So we had video come in. And, and today, the way that young people and all, everybody basically accesses music, you know, so we have um, radio, obviously, but I'll get back to that in a second. But we have YouTube and, and music videos. Uh, we have uh, streaming. Uh, we have Spotify and Pandora. And Pandora has the bulk of uh, the streaming, uh, by the way. I thought it would be Spotify, but it was Pandora. And uh, then we have On Demand. We have iTunes and Amazon. Um, then we have live music. People access um, music and new artists, to, especially the festival events that they have now. Uh, vinyl. Vinyl, um, people are going back to record stores, which I find awesome. Um, hopefully, they'll be buying more rock. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, word of mouth, you know, um, and uh, subscription radio, like serious. So, what I think happened is that we all used to access music the same time, like the new Led Zeppelin or the new Who would come out, and everybody be like, Oh, did you hear it? Oh, God, it's on the radio, or the new Pearl Jam, or whatever. And you would listen to it, and everybody would kind of have that experience at the same time, right? Because they'd heard it on the radio. Now, Pearl Jam can put out new music, hopefully someday soon, please. But you can hear them on Sirius Radio, or you can hear them, you know, on a classic rock station. But you may miss that they released a new album and never go out and buy it and never hear it. And right now, they're kind of classic rock, aren't they? Yeah, it's funny how that works, you know, and, and, you know, and all classic rock slowly moves to oldies, too. So in 20 years, you know, Motley Crue will be on an oldie station. 
it's interesting, you know, when you when you say that, when you when you talk about that, um, of how new an, an existing artist will put out a new album, whether it's Pearl Jam, whether it's L.A. Guns, whoever, and the music will be great. The album will be great. The hardcore fans will know it's been released, but the casual Pearl Jam fan or the casual right. the casual rock band, whoever it is, won't know that it's out, won't know that they have new music. And that's when you get the questions, whatever happened to this band? Whatever happened to mm-hmm. that band? Because people don't know. That's... That was that was different because I remember growing up in the eighties in Chicago and having WMET ninety five point five, and then a station that came on a few years later called WVVX at one hundred three point one that would come on at like seven or eight o'clock at night and play till one o'clock in the morning, and they were pretty much free to play anything they wanted, right? So right. WMET would come on and they'd play the Greg Kin Band, followed up by Judas Priest followed by mm-hmm. Men at Work, and then, mm-hmm. you know, Motley Crue or Van Halen. It was great. It was a great right. radio station. And they would play the deep cuts and the deep tracks. The, the, the metal station, the hard rock station that came on later, played whatever the hell they wanted to play, you know? Right. But at the same time in the 80s, it seemed like radio started to follow MTV. MTV started to break the bands and the music. And then radio yeah. would soon follow that after whatever was being yeah. popular on MTV. And that really changed, you know, had a cultural shift in how we listened to music back then. Because as you know, as everybody knows, mid 80s to late 80s, everything was hard rock on MTV. And you saw formats mm-hmm. all over the country change to hard rock. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the lifeline of that was very short lived. It didn't last very long, probably only about maybe a dozen years, um, and right. then it changed to the grunge movement. And then after right. the grunge mu- movement, it seemed to completely dis- disappear. And I yeah. know during that time, especially with the movement for subscription radio, you know, Sirius XM, or, yeah. in a lot, large part because of Howard Stern, but it seemed like corporations like Clear Channel yeah. were buying these radio stations across the country and changing the formats overnight to pop music yeah. or formula-related music. There's now a lot of talk talk radio, yeah. which is huge now. And it almost mm-hmm. seemed like it's been a gradual shift. And the, the one form of music that's being left out is rock music. Right. Yeah, so, a lot of consolidation. So Clear Channel came in and bought up everything they can. Now, Clear Channel is iHeartRadio. Right. So... They, right. you know, and so do you know what the top three formats on radio are? If I had, if right I, now? if I had to guess, just guess, I would say pop music, political talk, and sports talk. Well, you're close. Um, it's country music. Okay. Is number one. Um, number two is news, and number three is talk. So okay. pop isn't even close. Wow. Hip hop isn't even close. Now, it's country by a mile. So, you know, and which is interesting because if you think about it, I, and it seems to me I like some country and some new country. They break new artists on a kind of a regular basis. They have a whole, you know, infrastructure set up for breaking new artists. And 
you basically, if you move to Nashville and you work your ass off for a couple of years, you know, you're going to, and you're good, you're going to break through. They've got all the, the, the up and coming charts. They have up, they get radio play. I mean, you know, they're doing it right, I think. And it shows. Their numbers are huge compared to rock and roll. You know, we, we've, I, I think we've got three or four classic rock stations in the Southern California area. And they're basically playing the top 20 classic rock artists for the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. And there's just, there's no space in there at all for breaking new rock music, new rock bands, new artists. There's no infrastructure there. Is it because the fans want to hear they're tried and true, they're favorites, and there's they don't want to hear new music, so they can't monetize breaking new music. I like. I would like to believe that they do want to hear new music, but when you've been programmed for so long to only hear the standard classic rock hits and nothing new, it kind of inadvertently or subconsciously brainwashes you to think, well, these are the only bands that exist. There's no new rock. Where's new rock? I don't know where to find new rock music. I can't, you know, you have to go look for it now. You have to get on YouTube. You have to search, you know, social media for, for new stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the time to do it. Or I think the biggest thing is people don't want to listen to it. Right. You know, just a little bit of an example of what, what I do on my Twitter page. I run these music polls that get a great response. I post new music, and the analytics on it is virtually nothing. So, okay, that, yeah. you, know, that, you know, that's okay. just a, a, a small sample size of what I do. But I know there's other Twitter pages, social media pages that do what I do who have the same results. It's right. all, you know, and, and, and that goes back to our theme of our last episode with, with Mike is how the rock fan is turning their back on rock and roll. They're not listening. Uh, right. Right. Because, well, they're, you know, they're a little bit older. I'm, I'm, I'm 56. I just turned 56. And if I was not an enthusiast and, and actually all my life since I was 12 years old seeking out new music to listen to, you know, I may miss all these great bands that are actually out there because my access is different, right? Everybody has to access new music differently now. So for the casual listener who gets in their car and puts on Aero 93.7 or whatever it is and listens to classic rock and they get their CCR and they get their Who and they get their Doors and and they're just running errands, and that's fine, right? Because in a way, it's just kind of part of the scenery for them. It's background music. They're not going to be seeking out and going to see live music anymore. And and, and that's okay. You know, maybe, um, well, maybe it's not okay. I, maybe it's not up to me to judge. But what's happening is that people who want to hear rock music now, we have to access it differently. We just can't turn on the radio and hear a new band called R.E.M. or a new band called U2 or a new band called whatever, Greta Van Fleet, right? We have to search out new distribution models. Um, there are great bands. There are great rock bands out there, and they're using different platforms. There's a, there's a, a, new, there's a music venue here called the Observatory, 
in Santa Ana, and they have a small room called the Constellation Room that's 250 people, and then a bigger room that holds about 1,200 people. And they sell out on a regular basis, and I, I keep an eye on it. And they're people I've never heard of in my life, right? And I call them, and they're like, oh, this is sold out. And I go look these people up. A lot of them are hip-hop and electronic dance music, but once in a while, you know, a rock band gets in there, and they're sold out. I'm like, how are these people finding this band? I've never heard of this band. They're not on the radio. Well, so there's new distribution models. There's a platform called Patreon. There's, you know, Bandcamp, Bandoozle, um, MTV, a little bit. Um, YouTube, for sure, and I think YouTube is the monster. I think YouTube is the one, if you can build a following on YouTube, you can sell out like 1,200-seat venues. Right, but you're still not going to hear those people on the radio. So they can sell out. They can be on festivals. They can sell out small rooms. They can maybe go on tour with somebody if they get the chance. But they're literally not getting airplay. They're not getting terrestrial radio airplay, Jay. So yeah, well, I, I, a music. There's music fans and there's music consumers, right? There's people that do just have right. it on for background noise, and then there's the real true fan. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine a few months ago, and I mentioned this on a previous episode, told me that for a lot of people, music is like your friends. You know, when you're younger, you got a mm-hmm. lot of friends. When you're younger, you listen to a lot of bands and a lot of different things. And as you get older. You your your circle of friends gets smaller and smaller as as does your musical taste. You know you kind of find your groove and you find the bands that you want to listen to, and then that's kind of it after a while. The one thing though is, and correct me if I'm wrong, the age group, the demographic that we belong to, is not the prime demographic advertisers want to sell to. Okay, so where does that leave? the younger generation, right? What music or how is, how is the younger generation absorbing music? Well, we know that answer, right? That's, I mean, we know it's through stuff like Spotify and Pandora. We know it's through streaming. We know it's through, you know, file sharing, all that stuff. Why aren't they getting in on the new rock that's being put out because there's a lot of great bands that are out there. And maybe the best question to ask you, since you've had some experience managing bands is what do bands have to go through in this day and age to get exposure, to get in front of an audience? I guess maybe that's a better way to introduce this part of the topic is, you know, how do these new bands get noticed and how difficult is it to get noticed? Right. So I, looked up for this conversation to make sure that I was kind of my idea was kind of what was actually happening out there and it's really it's you have to reach out and build your own fan base now you're not going to get radio air play radio airplay is going to come like after you have like I'm going to go out on 11 say 2 million views of a song or more on YouTube. YouTube is the big indicator on whether you're going to break through to airplay and somebody will add you, you know, at, they'll add you on their, you know, 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. playlist, right? You know, that's where you'll get some airplay. Um, but you really, it's up to the bands themselves now. 
um, to grow their own fan base. And that's using social media, using Patreon, using YouTube, trying it. You are not going to get on a tour or a festival unless you've got the views and the numbers, right? There's a, there's a, I'm watching this guy named Abby Kaplan. He was the bass singer in an acapella group called Pentatonix. Pentatonix is a huge worldwide phenomenon. They're not rock and roll, right? But he broke off a couple of years in it and he's doing his own thing. It's kind of singer, songy, folky, really cool stuff. I really like what he's doing. He's got millions of views, millions and millions of views of his videos. Still has not received any airplay. This is how hard it is to break through, even if you already sold millions and millions of albums, right? Um, I don't know if there's any air for them anymore. I don't know if anybody's going to take a break on that. You know, say, hey, we're, we like these guys. We're going to add them to our playlist. You know, music programmers are really sensitive to crunching numbers and profit and loss statements, right? And quarterly uh, ratings. So it's a real risk for a program manager to even add somebody like Abby Kaplan who's got, you know, millions and millions of views. It's still too risky. So, oh. Jay, I don't, I don't really know. I think people have to, I think, yeah, I, so I'm managing a couple of artists who are going to drop some new albums, and we're definitely not really going to go after Radio Airplay because, sadly, you know, we're... It, it's too hard to get that, but it's a lot easier to build a fan base. You know, if they've already been playing out, they've already got a small emailing list and then to grow it and then to get onto the Patreon so that they're getting paid and then to, you know, really kind of network and engage with them on a personal level. Like, uh, he's doing a great job on Patreon is Ace Von Johnson, who is the rhythm guitar player for, uh, L.A. Guns, who has, by the way, one of my favorite albums last year. Fantastic. I don't. I haven't heard it on the radio. I don't know if I'm ever oh, going to hear it album. on the radio. You're talking about the one that just great got released album. in, yeah, the one that just got released in April? Yeah. Great yeah. album. Oh, is it, is it, oh, it's one of my favorites in the top ten. They're not getting any airplay on that day no. at all. But you know what? They're selling out. I went some of the coach house, 1,200 people. They're selling out everywhere they go, small rooms, because they do have a built-in fan base. Right, they've been around for thirty years, putting out great music. Um, but one-to-one fans. Ace talks to his friends on Twitter. He invites people to come to the show. He's great on Patreon. So they're kind of, you know, like you have to build your own fan base to create a sustainable livelihood um, Tr- outside of radio airplay. Tracy Guns also um, hops on my Twitter feed oh. every once in a while, and he does participate in a few yeah. discussions so yeah they are very active on social media and interacting with their fans right. i saw them right. recently um here in the chicago area back in the spring mm-hmm. and the place was near sold out and it was it's not a yeah. big it's a, it's not a big place but it's a nice size club and they they were sounded phenomenal they sounded great and their and their new their last two records have been really really good exactly i agree and you know he's amazing so he's a guy that i used to see um, I used to see LA Guns, how old I am, when they played backyard parties in San Marino in San Gabriel Valley. And I would show up and I'm like, who's playing tonight? And they'd be like, oh, LA Guns. And I'd be like, Ugh, again? Oh my God, Van Halen. Again? Really? Can I have somebody else? 
I mean, they used to, you know, a lot of those bands, Van Halen, Molly Crew, they used to play backyard parties. And, you know, that's really changed. People don't have backyard parties anymore, you know? Right. Um, and they broke through on radio because, again, it was new and, and people would take a risk on it. And But what they've done is, you know, I would say that probably LA Guns doesn't get a whole lot of radio airplay anymore, but they have taken what they've done built their fan base up and continue to grow that fan base so that they can exist and sustain themselves completely outside of commercial radio. And I don't know if that's the future for all new rock and, and, and established rock. Well, not, not established rock so much because we've got classic radio, but you know, somebody like an LA Guns who wasn't a Motley crew and maybe didn't get the excessive airplay that they did. And, you know, other than, like, I would say Greta Van Fleet, who's, like, doing really well and selling out, it's fantastic for them, you know, and they broke through, but how many more of those are there out there that are going to break through and, and get commercial airplay? And it, quite frankly, I don't hear them on the radio that much, to be honest. Right, and I think the only other band that compares to them right now is the Struts, you know, who's got more right. of a, a British pop, pop feel to them. But, exactly. but there's so many great bands. You know, there's so many oh, yeah. awesome acts. I mean, you know, I, I've mentioned Joyous Wolf several times in, on episodes right. and on my Twitter page. I've mentioned Dirty Honey. I've mentioned Tyler Bryant. I've mentioned Black Coffee. I've mentioned the so lazy. many. Yeah, the, the Lazies are great. I mean, they're from Australia. There's so oh, many good. Really, yeah. yeah, some great. Uh, and there's also a great UK movement going on with like oh, the Glorious Sons yeah. and Massive Wagons and, and just. So many great bands that are just not getting the exposure. It's almost like imagine being in the eighties and not being able to hear like the Scorpions and not right. being able to hear like UFO and not being able right. to hear Def Leppard because right. they would not break in America if if it was present day, if the present day industry was like it was or like it, you know, would be in the eighties, so to speak. Right. You know, so, so those bands would not break at all, and what I find just concerning and and you know I'll be honest, annoying is when I hear people say new rock music sucks or new rock yeah. music is not good because it's very good, yeah. and it's just not getting the airplay. And I think a lot of that, and that always has been one of the core elements of someone liking something right if they don't hear it on the radio it means it's no good if they don't you know have a big hit it means it's no good and people don't understand that just because it's not liked by the masses doesn't mean it's bad you know some a lot of times when things are 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 liked by millions of people it might mean it it really sucks but just a lot of people like it because it gets a lot of airplay a lot of money was thrown behind it and that's why they have an audience there's a band mm-hmm. out of L.A., the, uh, an old band that's no longer around. They just disbanded within the last year. It was a band called Biters. Um, they were from Georgia, and they came into L.A. They had a lot of great songs, a lot of great albums. They couldn't gain any traction. Imagine <laughs> like a Thin Lizzy meets Cheap Trick type band. Completely incredible. And they couldn't resonate right. with anybody. They couldn't, they couldn't find an audience. And now they're no longer. Right. And, and I think that's going to happen a lot more as bands give it a go and try working it and try getting a following. 
a lot of them, I think, are going to get frustrated, unfortunately, because they're not going to find the traction that they need. Right. I think the whole model has changed, unfortunately. I mean, I don't see that radio is going to open its format doors and embrace hard rock or metal again. I, I think those are, are past. If anything, I think it's going to be more more country, more talk, more news, and, and you know, probably, you know, more Christian radio. That's a very, uh, that's a, you know, that's an up-and-coming format. So I don't know, and I'm really afraid for the, you know, the the place where rock and roll should should be around the world. Basically, is you know, it should be up there with country, and it should be up there with hip hop and pop, and it should be getting airplay. Um, it's not, you know, when you look at Sirius Radio, I have Sirius, and I have seven or eight rock stations, but they're all Ozzy, you know, classic rewind, deep cut, um, you know, none of them say new rock, none of them, there's some new alt rock stations, you know, so you can listen to alt rock, you know, XMU and, and a couple of others, but there's no like, hey, we're in, listen to new rock, you know, not even serious is taking a chance on that. And that we're paying for that. I would definitely love to see on subscription radio, and maybe this is the route that rock and roll has to go in the future, is to finally develop that audience. And it's a subscription that we, that we download and we pay for, you know? And it does, for those of us who want new rock music, feeds it to us 24 hours a day because we definitely know the material and the bands are out there. Yeah, I've I've often thought about what would it take to get exposure for new music. I think you're right. I think there might be a subscription-based programming or, or streaming service or whatever that tackles that, that goes after that, because I do think there's an audience out there. You know, when I go see, oh, when I go see Greta Van Fleet, who sold out three nights in Chicago, I think at like a 2,000, 2,500-seat uh, uh, club arena. Uh, or wow. theater, or whatever yeah. you want to call it, ballroom. They call it the Aragon Ballroom. So they sold out three nights there. And, again, with limited airplay, and there was people from my age group to people my son's age group. When I went and saw right. the Struts in Madison, Wisconsin, a college town, it was like a 500-seat place. It was packed, and it was all college kids. You know, I've seen Tyler Bryan. I've seen Temperance Moon. I've seen all these young bands, and every crowd is – pretty much the same where it's a, a big mix. I do think there is an audience out there for it. I do think people are craving it. I, I think people are sick and tired of trying to find stuff on YouTube and want it in one spot. If they can find it in one spot, I think the audience will be receptive to it. I think there'll be a place for rock bands to go right now. There really isn't a place, right? I mean, you've got Eddie trunk doing talk radio, and talking about bands and talking about music, and he does a great job of of promoting the you know the platform and the genre of music. You've got a lot of online magazines like Ultimate Classic Rock and Loudwire and Blabbermouth, who are sending you links or getting links on there for new albums or articles of uh, you know with 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 new bands releasing new music. I think it's out there, but I just don't think any anyone would call anything a home yet. 
right? No. You know, because it's, it's not commercially viable, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's 14% of the market, rock and roll. I, the only thing I think that, you know, I see, you know, hope is that vinyl is really making a comeback. And I think young people, millennials, when they hear music on vinyl through a real stereo with analog, not a compressed digital format, it's, it's an eye-opening experience. Like when I heard the Beatles for the first time, just sonically, I was like, oh my God, this music. And they, once they hear it, they don't often go back. They continue to grow their album uh, collection and vinyl sales are up. And I think if we could have a subscription service on Sirius, you know, it seems to be the logical place for it to be that says, Hey, you know, we've got seven classic rock stations. We're going to do a new rock station. And so, you know, to try it, I don't, but I don't know if anybody is willing to take the financial risk on it, you know? And I, I mean, and I don't know though. I don't get the whole vinyl thing though. I mean, I, I, I collect vinyl. Okay. I don't understand mm-hmm. how the generation, the younger generation who basically gets all their info or all their music through streaming services on a handheld device is going to be receptive long-term to vinyl. I don't, I don't know how long that's going It'll to last. Year over year. Well, I, you know, I mean, the thing is, is, is that it's, they're, they're phasing out CD production, right? So Walmart and, um, Best Buyer are discontinuing carrying any CDs uh, moving forward. They're going to sell off their inventory, obviously. But, you know, but album is the one medium that is up year over year over the last five to six years. And last year, 2018, they had phenomenal growth in the sales of vinyl. Um, I go to the record. So it's like amazing to me because uh, two things happened this year that were kind of give me hope and faith that there are people that are going to reach out and find and listen to rock and roll. And one of them was, I was promoting uh, a concert I was doing. So I went to every single record store in Orange County. I did not know that we had like over a hundred record stores in Orange County. Orange County is small. It's a, it's a, we're an hour south of Los Angeles and it's, you know, it's a, it's a diverse, uh, population. It's not a really young population, though. It's a little, excuse, a little bit older. But every record, there's a hundred of them, and every record store I went to was packed, and it was young people looking to records and buying records, and I was, like, kind of stunned and kind of happy. Um, so I'm like, wow, maybe, you know, they are going to embrace rock and roll and records and, like, really get into it, you know? And the other thing that happened was in January, I went to NAMM. Um, one of my friends was looking for a new guitar, so we were going to go and test guitars. NAMM is the National Association of Music Merchandisers. It's the largest music um, merchandise show in the world. So and they have it at um, Anaheim Convention Center every January. I thought it was going to be empty um, and devoid of young people, <laughs> but much to my surprise and happiness, Every guitar vendor we went to, from Fender to Gibson to Taylor to D'Angelo, they were packed, absolutely packed with young people playing guitars, testing guitars. Um, and, and I was 
venture to even say that like at least 50 to maybe 55 or 60% were young women in the guitar sections playing and listening to guitars. And of course, all of the manufacturers had artists playing and they were all very young. They were all in 16, 17 year age range playing rock music. So give me a little bit of hope, Jay, I have to say. Well, I even see that too as well. I mean, you look at artists like Griffin Tucker, uh, who's 17 oh, yeah. years old, who's going to be 18 soon, who's got a great sound to him. There's this other band, I think that they're even younger than that, called UTR Band, Under the Radar Band, um, who are young too. So it almost seems like it maybe rock skipped a generation. I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful that you know maybe it did and the new younger kids are really into it. But getting back to the, the vinyl, I just, the way people are today with how they absorb music. I love vinyl. I love this listening to vinyl. I just haven't been able to figure out if this is going to be a long-term thing or if it's going to be like a memorabilia type stuff, like, you know, where people are releasing like white vinyl, red vinyl, you know, blue oh, vinyl, yeah. stuff like that. So you got to get yeah. all your copies if you like this band. Yeah. So it's almost becoming like a memorabilia <laughs> piece, right? Like I've got the green vinyl and the blue vinyl. I need to still get the red one, you know, and all that. So I can get where that's how that, can be inspiring to people to buy or inspiring, you know, those to be a collector of music, but long-term with viability, I just don't, I don't know. I, and I don't understand the reason why CDs are going away. Right. I mean, if you want to talk about quality sound, CDs have the best, better than any streaming service, you know, the the vinyl offers a more intimate sound, as I would call it, whereas the CD offers a more clean sound. But the one positive thing that I've read on that is the latest Tool CD is getting companies to rethink them disbanding CDs in general because how much has been sold or how much music has been bought through the CD platform for the new Tool record. And I think also Taylor Swift had a big... Uh, impact on the selling of CDs with her latest record too. You know, exactly. Well, so I think the key word there is sales. <laughs> I think, I think that record companies and radio stations are interested in what's selling. Right. Unfortunately, um, if rock and roll is going to sell well on vinyl, well, you know, maybe there will be a little bit of space on terrestrial radio for it. And hopefully maybe subscription radio, if they wake up and say, Hey, vinyl actually outsold CDs and rock sells better on vinyl than any other format, any yes. other genre. So, and, and right, you're right with the collector's item. So I'm thinking because that's an experience, right? And young people today are more interested in, in, in experience research shows, right? So they want their rock music and their vinyl to be an experience. They want, they post little videos of them, you know, unboxing uh, a, a record and, you know, all the stuff that came with it and the liner notes and whatever, like the tool. Everybody was, you know, unbox showing videos of them unboxing the, the latest fair inoculum from tool. Well, let's talk so, about that. Let, let's dive into that topic because that's one of my favorite things to talk about is the experience, the physical experience of owning music. And I've hit mm -hmm. on this a lot is how we absorb music. And when we were growing up, you used to buy an album, you used to buy a cassette or, or a CD, 
and there would be the front artwork of the album, the back cover photo, and you'd look at this, you'd be like, oh, wow, this album cover looks really cool. You'd flip it over, you'd see the guys in the band, and they look dangerous. They look like, you know, they're from the alley of, of whatever, wherever. <laughs> and, like, you'd be like, wow, this is really cool. I'm going to turn this on and, and put this on and listen to it. And then you'd le- read the liner notes, and then you'd read the lyrics, and you would sit there all day with a new album and just absorb everything in its entirety, right? You'd absorb the artwork, you'd absorb the photos, the liner notes, while you were absorbing the music. It would be like you said, the experience. With streaming services like Pandora and Spotify and iTunes and Amazon, it takes away from that experience, right? And I've often said the core issue of rock, and I know some people may disagree with, I think Mike disagrees with this a little bit, but I still think the core issue is how it is absorbed. I think rock music mm-hmm. has to be an experience. I think listening to rock has to be that moment that you look forward to on New Music Fridays where you get your album in the mail or you go to the record store and buy it and you unbox it, like you said, and you absorb it for the rest of the day. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I think I think that is so so much a part of being a rock fan that I think over the last decade or so that's been lost. And coincidentally, you've seen the numbers of rock and the sales of rock music go down because there's a lack of experience. Right. Right. And hopefully, you know, any luck that changes because, you know, I read the numbers for album and for vinyl and it's encouraging. It actually is. And I think, I'm not sure if it's the young young kids going to the festivals and and absorbing that whole experience and going, well, you know, I can go back home, get a turntable and go buy an album and kind of have a little bit of that experience. It's going to sound better. I'm going to be able, I feel like I'm connected to the artist, you know, and then they can go out and find them on their various social media platforms and engage with them. And that, again, becomes part of the whole experience. I mean, I can tell you, I'm an old lady, and when William Duvall tweets me, because I did get his signed copy of his pretty new album, to say thank you, it's like, wow, that's so cool. I can't believe it. And so now all those avenues are there to take the experience of listening to music and enrich it and make it so much more by engaging almost one-on-one with your fans. And... Well, isn't that what Tool did with their latest CD? They made it an experience? Yeah, absolutely. It's a perfect example of what they did. I mean, and, you know, and I'm a huge Tool fan, so, I mean, I'm right there. I'm a fan. I was so excited. I didn't get the album because it was just, I spent so much money on tickets for Ohana. (laughs) I had to make a choice. (laughs) And that's another experience, you know. And the thing about Ohana, if we can talk about Eddie Vedder's, festival. I mean, he's an old guy, right? And the program's been around forever. But I like what he is doing. He is bringing out, he's putting together a three-day festival at the beach, bringing all new bands that I've never heard. You know, and they're really great, and they're really good. And now I'm looking them up, and now I'm downloading them, now I'm buying them, now I'm going to their fan pages, I'm going to support them. If I really like somebody, I might go throw some money over on Patreon. 
I'm definitely following their social media. So now I'm engaged. Now it's an experience, right? And now I'm a fan. And I don't see a whole lot of people out there breaking and bringing new bands into a three-day festival and charging as much money. (laughs) I just had yeah. I just had this. I just had this conversation on Twitter about with uh, the rumor is next year Iron Maiden and Judas Priest are going to tour, and it's going to be a huge. It's going to be huge, right? And their opening band that the rumor the rumor of their opening band is Testament. Why? 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 They don't need Testament to sell tickets. Why yeah. not bring Why not bring one of those bands from the UK that has li- had limited exposure yep. in the United States and all over the world, and bring one or two of those bands out, let them play for each for a half hour, and get them mm-hmm. some exposure? Seriously, why yep. Why don't they do that? I mean, there's so many bands that I mean, you look at Def Leppard and Journey who toured last summer. I think they yeah. brought out Cheap Trick on most of their dates. They don't need mm. Cheap Trick to sell them to sell tickets. Why don't they bring another? You know, a, a, an up-and-coming band. I don't know why more bands don't do that. I know, like, the Blackberry Smokes always bring good bands out. There's other bands that, that do it as well, but there's not enough. There's not enough that do well, it. Well, it goes right back to your point that you have the conversation with Mike, is our rock fans our own worst enemies, right? Mm-hmm. Are we? You know, are why do we even put up with that? Why don't we get out on social media and tell them, Hey, listen, why don't you bring somebody new? I know I went and saw Allison Chains and Corn, who've been around forever and a day. They did bring two new bands out with them for supporting acts. Um, they, I was kind of not, I didn't get to hear them exactly. I was in, and I actually was in the VIP lounge, which is kind of cool, but but they did bring out, and, and they were well-received. The, they had fans turn out for them, so I'm going to give them credit for that. It wasn't like an all-star lineup, you know? Right, right. I, I think that's, and, you know, promoters are used to trying to get the big ticket now. They're trying to get the most out of out of the sale. But, you know, like I said, Testament's not going to sell more tickets for Judas Priest than no. Iron Maiden. They're not. They're not no. at all. No. No. So they're missing an opportunity here. So people who are really engaged with and want to see Rockwell continue to thrive and be successful um, so that musicians and bands can make a living so that we can eventually crawl our way back onto terrestrial radio, you know, rock fans are actually going to have to make some sacrifices and, and to, like, change a little bit their behaviors. I myself did actually get into an argument with a woman after a gig. Uh, one of my performers was playing when she said, well, where can I find, uh, you know, Ronnie's music? And I said, well, check out his Facebook page. And she turned around and she goes, I don't use Facebook. Facebook is evil. Why would I use to find me music? And I just, I'm like, I go, well, how about YouTube? She goes, oh, I'm not going to go on YouTube. And I'm like, well, you know, there's tons of great music out there, but, you know, as a rock band, you have to make an effort now, unfortunately, because it's not going to be fed to you. It's not going to be played on the radio. You're not just going to turn on, you know, the FM dial and hear new music. You know, if you like somebody, nowadays, your access to them is going to be different than it was in the 60s and the 70s, even the 80s. You actually have to make a concerted effort. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Rock is ever really going to get back on radio, to be honest. And I know that's kind of a depressing conclusion that I've come to, but I don't see the, I don't see the money, you know? Yeah, I, I think everything is cyclical, and I do think maybe it will. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ready to put, you know, to write the obituary of rock radio. Um, <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> you know, but, but. I do think there is a point to what you're saying that it's going to it's going to take rock fans to create the presence for rock music again, right? It's going to have to get them to the seat of the table. You know, this the conversation right. that Mike and I had was spawned by Dee Snyder's reaction to not having a rock band in the Super Bowl. And I agree mm-hmm. with everything Dee says. It should be a rock band playing the Super Bowl, but when you're not bringing in the advertising dollars or, we, or, or advertisers yeah. don't want to use rock music to promote their product because of the numbers that, you know, the stats that yeah. are, are out there, they don't have a choice. It's not Pepsi's fault. It's not the NFL's yeah. fault. It's the rock fans fault. I hate to keep saying that, but if you're not listening to new stuff, if you're not buying new albums to keep these bands relevant in the mainstream, Mainstream TV, the biggest mainstream stream event in the history of television, the Super Bowl, is not going to want your product. They're just not. Mm-mm. You know, so yeah. so when you when you yell from the highest mountain and you're a rock fan, you say, "Oh, this is crap." The NFL, blah blah. blah. You know what? Look in the mirror. When's the last time yeah. you went and saw a rock show? When's the last time you bought a right. new a new album that's a new release from an existing artist or a new artist? When's the last time you did that? And if the answer is, I don't remember, or it's been a while, you're part of the problem. Exactly. And if you say things like, I'm not going on Facebook and I'm not going on YouTube, well, okay, I guess then listen to the Scorpions and Zeppelin for the rest of your life until you die, you know? And (laughs) if if you're okay with that, but you're not doing anybody any favors, that's for sure. Well, and also, when someone posts new music on their Twitter feed... Hint, click on it, listen to it. Whether you like it or not, just listen to it. That's all you got to do. You're, you're not, you're you're not, you don't have to like it, right? You don't have to fawn all over it. Just listen to it. When I look at the analytics on my poll questions, right? They get, some get over a thousand votes. And then when I look at the analytics on a post of new music of a new band, it's depressing, because I know. it's like you're complaining about rock music not being wanted by mainstream anymore. First of all, rock and roll is never supposed to be mainstream, but I get what they're saying. Right. I mean, you got to look in the mirror and you got to ask yourself, what am I doing to contribute to this demise of exactly. a great genre? You know? Exactly. You know, when, when like, it's KLS in 95.5, uh, I think they have Jones' jukebox during lunch. Steve Jones. Oh, I love in, that. Uh, yes, that's great. Yeah, I love it. Right, Jonesy's jukebox, and and he and he's kind of I like him. He's kind of a rebel. He'll 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 take a, a chance. He'll he'll play somebody new. Um, but you know what? If the if the radio station doesn't hear from the fans saying, "Hey, play more of that, play more new music," when you hear a new band that you like, call the radio station and go, oh, "I love that new band. Can you please play more?" Mm-hmm. Because they actually respond to that and. You know, and it used to be that rock fans were pretty active, 
we were young, we would call the station. We would um, write to them and say, please play, you know, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Can you imagine the time? Yeah, right. <laughs> People are requesting us. Well, you know. Play more, of that, play more of that Led Zeppelin band. Maybe they'll make it. <laughs> Maybe they'll make it. <laughs> So, uh, you know, people would call up and go, yeah, okay, Louis, you're not playing enough Greta Van Fleet and Live Fun. You know, I just want to call because your call, so you're one person, they count that for like 10 to 15 people that feel like you. That's kind of how the analytics run, right? So if, if we're more vocal as rock fans, if we're more activated and take more of an interest, and saying, oh, I, I really like this band. I'm going to support them. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to request their music. I'm going to share their music. I'm going to call KLOS and go, can you please play more whatever, you know, whatever your new favorite band, The Struts, or, you know, maybe less Maroon 5 and, and <laughs> less Panic at the Disco, um, and more Fox, you know? Because... If we're not vocal, we're, we can be a, a minority, right? You can be a small minority. You can be 14% of the market, but you can be loud and you can be assertive and you can make sure that your music gets out there, but you have to be active. I call it exploring discovery, and then you have to support what you like. So if you like somebody, you just can't be the casual fan anymore and expect to hear it on your local rock station. It's like a grassroots campaign, you know? It really is. It is. It truly, that's kind of where we're at, I think, you know? I like a young guy out of um, Tacoma, Washington. He's phenomenal. Kind of a Pacific Northwest sound. Martin Reed and I'm friends with him on Facebook. I'm constantly encouraging him to get on Patreon, you know, because one of the first things you can do as a young artist is you can go on Patreon and you can start having some income come in. You can start, you know, not having to worry about your rent and stuff like that because believe it or not, people are actually really generous and will support you. I, I think from the fans, I think we're willing to support people that we like musically. Correct. You know? I believe that, yes. And then what they have to do is take some of that and like really do some PR and some push and show that they've got the numbers, you know, and I wish we could take a lesson from what they're doing in country music. You know, I know it's the Opry, the Grand Old Opry has like, you know, new music Mondays and they put unknown artists up and people come in and watch them. And, you know, that's a, that's a fan base that really supports and embraces new artists. I wish we could take a lesson from that and kind of say, wow, they're doing it right. You know, why don't we do some of the same thing? Yeah, I, okay. I've seen it. I, you know, I have friends that live in Nashville and you go up and down First Avenue mm -hmm. and Broadway and mm -hmm. there's bar after bar of unknown bands playing in the window. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they're, they're right yep. there and they're playing and you just walk yep. and you can go in any bar you want and there's yep. going to be a band playing. And then... What's really cool is every once in a while you'll get one of these big country stars that want to just try out new material, and they'll go yeah. in and they'll come in as a as a no name band name, right? You know, uh -huh. like like yeah. uh, you know white loose leaf paper is the name of the band, and right. it'll be it'll be Keith Urban, <laughs> and he'll right. be he'll be working out tunes that he's you know wants wants to put on his new record. 
exactly. Yeah, and and, and there's and they seem a little more adventurous too with their size because country's a, a little bit wider now than it used to be. It's also, I think, and I hate to say this and, and knock on the rock fan again, but I think it's more loyal. I think they're more loyal, yeah, to the cause yeah. of country music than yeah. rock fans are. I yeah. mean, it's, and it's proven. Over and over again, people can argue with me and tell me I'm wrong, but let's just prove mm-hmm. it. L- look at all the new country artists that have been successful over the last decade, and I bet you, Casey Well, I bet you, you can't even compare the new rock bands that have been successful versus the new country bands. You can't even compare. Oh my god, there's so many, and I like to, and I have tons on my Amazon playlist of new country artists uh, that. You know, literally, they're in their second or third year. Um, what is that, Kelsey Calabrini girl, uh, Casey Musgrove? They're like two or three years into their career, and they're multi-platinum. Check they're out on national tours. Check out know? the band Midland. Midland. All right, I'm writing it down. This is how you do it, people. Keep changing, <laughs> exchange band names with each other, and then go listen to it. And if you like it, throw them some support. You know, call your local radio station and go. Hey, do you have this band? I'd love to hear it, you know, on KLOS. That'd be great. Can you play them? Literally, give them a call. Just a little tip. <laughs> Going back to real quick about the Tool CD, because we touched on it briefly. Oh, yeah. I think that okay. if CD format wants to stay around, I think bands are going to have to take that example from the vinyl experience and make the CD yep. experience as well. Like, have Pete Yorn, who's a who's a independent oh, yeah. artist, singer-songwriter, yeah. who's released yeah, several I albums. I love Pete Yorn. He released an album called Nightcrawler probably about 10-plus years ago. And each outlet had a different version of it. The Best Buy outlet, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of who else, the Amazon or whatever, whatever who was selling the, the CDs at the time. And and they had their had like the 10 or 12 main songs at every every copy had and then each outlet had like the walmart version had these two songs the best buy version had these three songs mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. i think that i think he was on to something there. i think that's something that some of these bands need to start doing or creating a whole experience with the packaging like like, mm-hmm. like tool did you know like they mm-hmm. you know, with, with their latest record so where yes you can get their music streaming but you can't get that physical experience, what that tool did by streaming. And that's why the sales of their CDs in the, in the, for the first few weeks, I mean, they had, a, I think it was number one because of that. Oh, yeah. They kicked off uh, Taylor Swift, and uh, that was a pretty funny experience watching that unfold. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it was an experience. Well, so, you know, that album was 13 years in the making, so a lot of careful thought and went into it, obviously. And the thing about Tool is, despite the radio silence and what you might say about them, they really care about their fans. They do. And it shows, you know, wow, the things that they've done. And, well, like, I noticed um, I did the William Duvall album I just got, so he also gave me a download with it. So I got their physical album to play on my turntable, which, by the way, I don't have a turntable right now, so I have to actually go buy one. Um but I went to the download and I was really looking forward to one song that was going to be on the download, hearing it through my earbuds or whatever. Um, it's not on the download. It's only on the album. Right. I'm like, Oh, okay. I see what's going on here, which is cool. You're right. So every 
you know, CD can be a little bit of an experience, right? And that really shows that you're thinking about your audience and your fans and what will really excite them. The days of just having a sleeve are over, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I think that's how rock music can really spark interest in gaining new fans is creating a little bit of an experience. If you go on Avon Johnson's little um, Patreon page, you know, if you join at the $10 level or the $15 level, you know, he's going to send you a personal handwritten note. You know, other, I'm a patron for a couple of different people. I get a personalized video from them with a little bit of a song on it. Um, they respond to your comments on a private chat service. Um, so it's a really kind of one-on-one experience. And then when you go by that special CD package or you buy a special album package and then you bring it home, I think it's more meaningful to you. And, um, Perhaps that is the salvation of rock. I don't know, Jay. I, I hope something is, so I, I hope think, something I think fits. that's the avenue that we have to go down. I think we've we've gotta create an experience. I think you talking about it has started the wheels turning in my head about I remember, you know, let's talk about the early eighties British bands like the Maidens and the Tigers oh. of Pantangs and the Saxons. Those album covers were right. an experience. Well, that's oh, yeah, I know. That's not going to do it now in today's age, but yeah. like what Tool did, take the lead that Tool yeah. just did and think about a way that you can physically sell your music and create an experience for the buyer, the end user, that is not going to be able to, to be obtained through streaming services. And boom, you, exactly. got a, you got a winner. You have a winner. Exactly. I, I think that's right. You know, I would, I would love to see hard rock radio make a comeback I would you know but I look around you know having been in radio I was in radio all together for like over 10 years and on two stations that did brand new formats that were never heard in the United States or really anywhere in the world one was new age and the other was new wave Um, since then I can't really think of very many new formats in radio as far as music genres go. Now there's been, you know, the talk radio, the political radio, the, maybe Christian radio, Christian music. Um, but I really don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't really think there's room for, I don't think there is any other new format out there that we can expect. You know, what what is there? So the only thing I can hopefully hope for is that rock can connect with enough enough fans who kind of demand that it gets played more regularly on terrestrial radio. These are all good points, and I'm sure mm-hmm. we're going to have this discussion again. But yeah. I'd love to have you back on again and, and, and dive uh, deeper into this. This is a great discussion. Before we Anytime, do, Jay. great. Before we do wrap up. I do want to talk briefly about the news regarding Eddie Van Halen. Uh, The news was put out um, and kind of confirmed what I have been told over the last week and a half by people that I know in California and L.A. um, regarding his health. 
and regarding yeah. the state of, of Eddie Van Halen. Uh, it broke on TMZ this morning in regards to cancer, throat cancer, um, yeah. which seems to be what has been ailing him. And some yeah. troubling things in that article that I mentioned on my Twitter feed. Number one, he's had radiation treatment for the last five years. Um, doctors have had to scrape out cancer cells in his yeah. throat multiple times. And he's been flying to Germany to get help, to get treatment. Yeah. And this tells me that Eddie's fighting for his life right now. Uh, these yeah. are not normal circumstances under normal cancer care, if there is such a thing. What I mean by that yeah. is when someone's flying to Germany for experimental therapy, that mm -hmm. usually means that he's exhausted everything here in the mm -hmm. States. When someone's yeah. getting five years of radiation treatment, that means the cancer's not going away. Okay. I know. So, you know, I, you know, I, I've heard that, oh, people are saying that he looks okay and sounds okay. He very well could, right? How many times have you heard, how many people that have you known in your life that sounded great one week and weren't so great the next week? Um, yeah, my best friend. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, so it's, it's cancer a tough. Cancer is. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we all know, we all know the history of Van Halen. We know the partying yeah. ways of Van Halen. We know the oh, abuses yeah. of that Eddie lived through with smoking and, you know, yeah. substances and alcohol. So we yeah. know that has to affect his immune system. Um, yeah. So I, you know, my take on that article is he's fighting for his life right now. Yeah. And, and. You know, my heart goes out to him. So, like I said, my experience is I, I spent a lot of time in Pasadena, California. And, um, you know, Van Halen actually was recording in the same uh, recording studio that a band I was managing was recording. So, we used to run into them on a pretty regular basis, you know. And I've met Eddie many parties. So, I'm playing, you know, backyard parties. And I've seen Van Halen actually in concert. I don't know seven or eight or ten times, you know. I saw Eddie Van Halen come out for the Pretenders and played for half an hour with the Pretenders a long time ago at a uh, UCLA Poly Pavilion. And I didn't even have a ticket to that show. My granddad used to be an usher there for the sports team, and he was working. He let me in the back door. Back in the day, I used to be able to do that. I can't do that anymore. But Eddie Van Halen came out and played with him, and I was, like, in the third row. I mean, he's has a special place in my heart and I wish him all the best. Um, you know, if he's in Germany and it's experimental, like my fingers are crossed at work, you know, I, I think he's one of the, um, most, I, I want to say influential, but it wasn't influential in the way I'm thinking he was, um, revolutionary, mm -hmm. you know, he really came out and like changed lots changed the way people approach guitar. I can't tell you how many uh, clone bands came up in L.A. after that, you know. But, Absolutely. you know, Jay, we have, to, we have to watch, you know, all us rock and rollers are old now, you know, getting older. Yeah, you know, and, I, I, uh, I listened to Eruption yesterday, which was yeah. the first piece of music that moved me as a young kid. Yeah. Because I remember hearing oh, wow. it. And saying to myself, mm -hmm. like, what is this? I've never heard anything <laughs> like that. 
you know, and exactly revolutionary. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about guitar before that, right? Guitar was very, uh, people were very similar. You know, they, they tried to work on their tones and Eddie Van Halen just took tone and just, just (laughs) brought it like into a whole nother galaxy. And, you know, when you listen to 100, you know, one minute and 44 seconds of absolute fury on guitar and, and just nothing has been the same since then. Um, And then when I saw them at the U.S. Festival on television, when I was able to put, you know, a face to the music and the imagery of Van Halen (laughs) and the, and the persona, the attitude, the swagger of the mighty Van Halen. Um, they yeah. have a special place with me too, and I hope yeah. he's able to come through this. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if, when it's all said and done, when he, you know, if if he ever does get cured of this, I don't know what the five years of radiation treatment will do to him mm-hmm. because that, I mean, when you mm-hmm. think of five year radiation, you think memory loss, you think of mm-hmm. issues with your your organs and and. And it just wreaks yeah. havoc on your whole body, and it's it's usually permanent when you've gone through it that long. I know. So I don't know, you know, if yeah. you know what what um, what he will resemble when this is all finished. If it's a positive, curable thing. So so we'll send positive vibes out to him, and yeah. um, you know, I one thing I can see about some of the young bands I've been uh, seeing lately, they don't seem to smoke and drink and, and drug as much as the old, the old guard. So yeah. I think maybe that's, that's a good thing. And so definitely positive vibes, everybody out there for send them over to Eddie. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's, you know, he's, he is uh, mm-hmm. one of my rock and roll heroes. I oh, hope yeah. uh, things do get better. And, you know, I hope the news is positive yeah. from here on out. We'll keep our fingers crossed, Absolutely. but, uh, exactly. But exactly. I do thank you for doing this. Um, this was a great conversation, Christy. I do. I loved all your thoughts and, and you kind of opened my eyes to a few different things that I'm going to start thinking about, especially with the whole vinyl and the experience. I didn't look at, <laughs> yeah. I, I've never looked at it that way until you talked to me about that on the, on the episode. So, um, awesome. Awesome. It, uh, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. And I'm going to recommend and continue to tweet out your, podcast and like anybody who's listening to this you know just really get on social media and push out your new favorite bands let's all explore and discover and support together i appreciate it everybody this is jay scott and this is the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast we'll talk again soon have a good day it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 